Could Skynet make better retro? All this and more on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Could AI remaster retro games? Tiny Combat Arena. Completed it, mate. All this and more coming up on today's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's show. Uh, for those watching on video, you may well notice we have four faces instead of three this week because we are joined by our guest, James Bradley. James, thank you for joining us today. Hello, guys. Pleasure to be here. Big fan. Thank you. And we'll we'll, uh, we'll get to know James a little bit better and why he's here shortly. Uh, but let's start with you, Chris. How's your week been this week? Yeah, not too bad. I bought one of these wonderful uh, uh, SCART to uh, HDMI uh, uh, converters that I know Dave is very fond of and thinks they're awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> haven't had enough time to play with it properly yet, but there will be a full reveal as to how good or not it may be at some point. But, yeah, that's that's the main thing I've been what doing. You, what, what are you hoping to hook up to that? Uh, just an extra way of in case I need something to get a, a semi-decent RGB signal into one of the many flat screen TVs I have around me on this desk, then it's another way of getting a signal onto the screen, basically. Nothing more convoluted than that. So, yeah. Op options. Always good to have options for retro. Dave, how's your week been? And Oh, and by the way, I should say a big happy birthday to Dave. It's actually today. So happy birthday, Dave. Thank you very much. Happy birthday! And how, how are you celebrating and making another year? Uh, I, I'm alright. I'm I'm slowly starting to get a little bit better. Uh, not being well, I'm going to the hospital for for X-rays and stuff. But um, yeah, I, I, that, that's slowly leaving me. I've been sucked into playing XCOM this week. I haven't uh, left the computer for days. Uh, I'm completely addicted to the, the, the a, a DLC I didn't, didn't realise existed that completely changed XCOM 2, so that's me. Um, other than that, I have had a, a gift from Rich, who Chris made the, the game for. He has sent me um, a, a stuffed dinosaur, which nice. will now sit on the shelf behind me. <laughs> there you go. That's a nice birthday present. Thank you, Rich. That's always a, he's, he's always such a thoughtful chap, isn't he? Rich. He is. He is. Yeah. Um, so that's nice. Good. And, and then there's this James guy who's appeared on the show here. Now, for those uh, who'd like to know who James is, um, I got to know James when the cave moved to the mill, to the new location. And I got this email from this chap going, I like retro. Um, and uh, I happen to have launched a couple of Kickstarters in the past using Commodore Amigas. And oh, by the way, you're about a 30 second walk down the road from me now. Can I come and say hello? Oh, it, was, it was really weird, wasn't it? it was so so uh, we got to know each other. Yeah. Yeah, and James has been a huge help in um, helping to run the cave uh, in more recent months, um, getting flyers out to the local area. Um, yeah, he's, he's been great. Like However, yeah, <laughs> checking out the flyers. Um, yeah. Now, I mentioned that he's done two Kickstarters in the past, and you're now working on a third, which is actually live, and it yes. involves Amigas yet again. Why don't you tell us a little bit? Yeah, about it, it does. Please. Yeah, so so this this game is um, I create games that kind of have a storyline connection to all of them. So the first game I did was Civitas Nihilium, which is this one here, which is a solo player game for one player obviously but it's a card game and i i did the pixel art using d paint and it has a play alongside nice. soundtrack that i used uh soundtracker pro and, and a little bit of music x because i was learning the two at the time 
and like this is the soundtrack for that so it's basically a game built by the commodore amiga a1200 and uh, i've, I've never i always wanted to crack coding and i never cracked it i wanted to crack assembly i got a little bit into amos but um never got around to it and uh, and i just thought well i've got a little bit of graphic of graphic design thing i'll try and learn as much as i can about deep paint and my goodness like the fact that it's like what 30 40 years old deep paint 5 i guess like it's such a powerful tool and i love using it and it was wonderful being in the cave with Stu Cambridge when he came to visit and just seeing all the kind of power that he was able to get out of Deep Paint as well. And that's really, really helped with this new Kickstarter, which I'm doing, which is a cyberpunk city builder called Civitas 2230. And it's a big box game. It's great. Is that a prototype you're holding up there? Is, is that the final is, product? This is the prototype, but it's very close to the final the final game. It's got a nice linen texture on there, which works really well with pixel art. Um, the, the Kickstarter is currently live. You can search for it on Kickstarter Civitas 2230. We're about 50% funded so far with about 20 days to go. Things are looking good. But um, it always, these games always separate the board gaming community because they're always like, oh, not pixel art. Oh, why did you do that? And I'm like, well, it's authentic pixel art. <laughs> and then they're like, why did you make it on an Amiga? That must be so slow. And I'm like, actually, it's pretty fast. <laughs> like, it's just one of those things. So yeah. um, the retro community tend to be the best audience for this because, of course, you're buying a game. You're getting the cellophane off. You're sniffing the manual. You know, you're getting oh, a yeah. nostalgic, a nostalgic hit that, that, you don't really get any more unless you're buying these Kickstarter games that are being made, which are like, I've got quite a lot these days actually, but not yeah. many doing big boxes. And the board game nostalgia hit kind of comes between the two, sort of, they cross over quite nicely, I think. So, yeah, if you want and a nostalgic this, hit, back the game. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> this new hit, yeah. this new uh, game that you're making. The previous one was a solo game. This mm. one's multiplayer, isn't it? Yeah, this one's multiplayer. Yeah, up to four players. Um, if we go through our our, um, our what are they called? I always forget what they're called. Stretch goals. Yeah, you can get up to five players or six players because there's obviously extra bits that need to be added. But um, anyone that comes on board might win a, have a chance to win one of these Sony Walkmans which i've got oh yeah. nice so james is just holding up some original yeah. sony walkmans no these are original sony walkmans they've had their belts replaced so they've been proper refurbished they work really well circa 1987 they're wm33s wm33 slash 43 yeah they're super nice. cool they have equalizers on the front they're lovely Really cool. <laughs> do they come with nice orange foam headphones as well oh you know it they're super cool I, I nearly tried to get them to work on this but i couldn't get them working on this one i was going to have them on but um yeah it's great that would have been cool fantastic <laughs> yeah. good well um we will put a link to the kickstarter in the show notes so do go and Thank check you. it out if you like city building board games with pixel art authentic pixel art made in d-paint and music because it's like a background tune that you can put on your phone um or your yeah. walkman if you've won it yeah and exactly. you can just listen to while you're playing the board game to set an atmosphere and really kind of sit down set the set the tone and just dedicate an evening tonight guys we're going to play board games and it's gonna yeah. we're gonna get the pizza in we're gonna have the the soundtrack on and we're really gonna get into this yeah. oh i love that kind of thing and you did some play yeah, testing in the cave as well which i wasn't available for kicking myself oh, I know. it's a real hopefully shame hopefully we'll get yeah. a game soon yeah it was a lovely it was a lovely evening those those tables are perfect for it it worked great good good there's definitely right, a, we're gonna... there's definitely a crossover between retro gaming and board games quite a few people um that are friends of the cave that i know are into board games 
Oh, yeah, great. For sure. Great. Well, hopefully hello, they'll come back the project. <laughs> hello, Gary, if you're watching. I know Gary is a huge... <laughs> hello, I know. Yeah, and Philip, yeah. So let's get into this week's stories. And James will be joining us throughout because he has um, just shared with us his retro credentials as a D-Paint guru <laughs> and uh, yeah, Pro right. Tracker master. So hopefully you have some <laughs> yeah. good opinions to share. Let's get into our first story. Our first story this week is all about AI and, um, well, the, the implications of it. So, guys, just a quick question for you, first of all. Have you seen these various AI image generation tools that have been popping up everywhere lately, and have you tried them? Yes, they freak me of out. Course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dave? Yeah, they're, they're everywhere. They're, they're, um, on Discord, it's been spammed for weeks and weeks and weeks. These things coming out, they're absolutely fascinating, though. They are. They are fascinating. So some examples of this technology are one called Dali, one called Midjourney, which is the one that's on Discord, which has become very popular lately. Yeah. Um, and there are others out there. So how it works is you type in some text describing what you want to see. So for example, I might type in an astronaut riding a horse on a rainbow. Uh, and then you might want to add a style to that. So I might say Studio Ghibli or hyper-realistic style. And then this incredible thing happens. It takes a minute or so to generate, but an image appears before your eyes created by a deep learning AI system. And if you're watching the video, um, I've actually pasted into the show notes for Duncan, a clip of an astronaut riding a horse on a rainbow. And I used photorealistic, although uh, what, what you do is you kind of generate the image and then you can drill down and down and down using these tools to make them more and more and more realistic. So this is the first pass. Not bad, not bad. There's an astronaut in outer space with a rainbow on his horse, looking good. A bizarre, bizarre um, helmet. The helmet kind of goes. Yeah, yeah a bit of an odd helmet. Yeah. Still talking about the astronaut. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and this discussion, this story today, has been prompted by an article submitted by Mark Central. The article is on Ars Technica, and. Um, yeah, it, it talks about the arrival of this technology and considers its uses and some of the ethics behind using it. So a few years back, we heard about deep fakes and how that might cause problems for society. Well, I think this probably has the potential to shake things up even more. And it really does feel like a huge leap in what we can do with a computer with minimal knowledge on how it works behind the scenes, because many people won't even know how this system works or how to access it, but they'll certainly have been exposed to it in Discord on their social media feeds, you know, all over their Facebook feeds. They will have seen images like this, not knowing where they've come from. So, um, guys, you said you've used these systems. Can you give me any examples of the things you've tried to create or what was the first thing you typed in? Chris? I? Oh, oh God. <laughs> well, yeah. Don't start with me because basically I, I tried it for about 10 minutes when everybody was all over it on Discord. I can't even remember what I typed, but I remember being gobsmacked that it actually came up with a fairly decent representation of whatever the top subject matter was. Tried a couple, but I can't remember what it was I typed or what the images looked like, only that it worked and that that freaked me out. Yeah. Dave? Mm. I am... Um... For some reason, I, I I wanted to to see dinosaurs in space, <laughs> so I I put, <laughs> I put that in, and it, it was surprisingly good. It came out with some stuff that was actually quite thought provoking, um, and it came out with stuff that looked quite lonely. Um, a dinosaur, and I, I followed that and then went down a, a lonely dinosaur, the last yeah. dinosaur alive, and that kind of thing, and it kept coming out with more. Um, images down this 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 deep 
hole of depression that I went on. That's a really sad story. James, what have you been doing with it? Um, So we installed Midjourney into our Discord for the the board game's got a little Discord and we installed it in there and and got everybody having a little go on it. And of course, it's all like, show me a cyberpunk eye, show me a cyberpunk thing. It's really good coming up with cyberpunk imagery, but I've tried it with like 8-bit, 16-bit pixel art. And I guess because it sources the internet for inspiration, all these images are fairly low res. So it comes up quite quite crap to be honest with you it's not it's right. not particularly good when it comes to pixel art which is a well shame. you're still in a job then well it's yeah, a shame exactly. but on the other hand it keeps you in a job yeah so yeah. Um, actually i i was really impressed with the results but duncan and i did manage to confuse it last week because uh one of the stories on last week's show was the war on floppy disks so we tried to use ai to generate a thumbnail of an exploding floppy disk and the ai just could not figure out how to draw a yeah. floppy disk yeah. ironically a computer couldn't figure out a floppy disk we got all kinds of things we got something that looked like a cassette tape with half a floppy disk inside it it was all sorts of weird stuff going on yeah um and i guess it probably comes back to the same as what you're saying uh it has to have enough uh it has to have learned enough and maybe there's there must be a lot of floppy disk images but i i don't know maybe it's just got maybe it's declared its own war on floppy disks i don't know um <laughs> But what we have learned through this Ars Technica uh, article is that it can handle retro. There has to be a retro angle for, for the sake of being on this show. And in the article, it shows examples of Duke Nukem, Monkey Island, King's Quest, and Star Control characters being turned from their original pixel art into real-looking people. So this is another method you can use with this AI now. You can use a source image and describe how you want it to be enhanced, what kind of result you want. And... Um, it will spit it out. So in this case, they've asked for photorealistic images of these pixel art um, avatars, characters, portraits. And the results are just astonishing. They look like real photos of people, I guess, cosplaying these characters. It could have come from any retro Comic-Con or anything like that. They're fantastic. Um, yeah, lots more to discuss on this article, but let's get to a few more of your opinions. Dave, what are your thoughts on the article? So on the idea of of AI-created art and games, I'm mixed on it. Um, the results, as you said, for the four examples in this article are incredible. I mean, it, it really incredibly good. Um, it's four games that I do know. Um, so it's images that I did know, and I feel what they produced is what the characters look like. So it's not even taking them a different direction. They, this is really what the characters really look like. And there's potential here to create any anything we we want to do from we can use as a base point from an old game we can create something photorealistic by the looks here um i do have a misgiving though um and i've noticed this particularly about um films with lots of cgi in it um we can't st- we still can't get cgi right we still in that kind of uncanny valley area where you can tell it's not a real person when they use cgi and until they can get cgi exactly right so that you really can't tell then i don't think photorealistic is going to convince you all the way uh, i know they can do lots of things to help you've probably seen pictures of actors in these kind of green spandex suits with little dots all over them to capture the motion and that that really does help if you look at um i think lord of the rings did that with gollum and that's why gollum and lord of the rings look so good but it's still not quite right. And I think if it's not quite right, then y- your brain rejects it. So perhaps we're better off with 
graphics that are not intended to look realistic and then your brain does the the hard work for you uh, fills in the gaps i think we're moving into the realms there of um, moving images that's where the, ma the magic can be lost but some of the photorealistic static images that this ai kicks out is incredibly convincing it really is uh, the way that this all works the article says is not through a system of actually understanding what the images are the system has access to five billion images on the internet to train itself with but it does this through a process called stable diffusion. Now, I'm not going to pretend to understand completely how this works, but apparently it learns to recognize familiar shapes in the noise of the pixels in the image, the, the shapes that make up the image. And you can kind of see this when you request an image and it's generating it. It slowly comes more and more into focus uh, based on the words that, that you've prompted it to give you. It's, um, it's quite a fascinating thing to see evolve the, the image that you've asked for. Now, the training, the article says, can cost um, in the region of $600,000 and require many powerful GPUs. But then once it's done that training, it creates what's called a weights file. So it compresses all the information it's learning to a weights file of about 4.2 gigabytes. So, you know, about the size of a DVD. Um, that's about that's about DVD size, isn't it? 4.2 gigs, about right. Um so, you know, on, on a DVD, you've effectively got the AI's brain that you can tap into, the, the, the source, the seed of the images, I guess. Um, James, what uses have you found for this? Um, so I, my, my day job is is uh, indie film and um, the indie film side of things. I think this is going to open up a lot of opportunity for indie filmmakers because the, what you were mentioning just now about about Andy Serkis and the, the, the ping pong balls all over his body, that's an expensive that's an expensive process. You've got to obviously pay for actors that are incredibly good at movement. You have to pay for all these different people to do that sort of stuff. And and um, the cameras everywhere, it's all very expensive. So the, the barrier for entry for science fiction, indie-based content has always been, you need at least a hundred grand to make this work. And um, now I think if we start moving towards that, especially if we're doing things like still images for um, indie band, there, there are album artwork, stuff like that. For the indie people, I think it will be really good for them. But I think that it's for, you, like you were saying, Neil, you can tell when it's not quite right and it doesn't it doesn't feel there does seem like the people do tend to like have like a soul missing or something i can't i can't quite put my work put my put my, my finger on it but it's, there's something missing there but certainly for barrier of entry and for the low the low budget indie stuff i think this is going to be a quite quite a successful tool for them mm. i like the idea of um music albums with ai generated art yeah like that. that's that's got a lot of scope for that for sure um now the article also discusses ethical concerns yes dave you're putting your hand up i want to go off on just a little bit of a tangent here i mentioned something about an uncanny valley which is this 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 phrase that describes something that looks as that's supposed to look human but doesn't quite look human if you see a mannequin that looks creepy so on yeah, yeah. I, I read some tweet somewhere that said if there's an evolutionary need for us to spot uncanny valley in other words things impersonating humans that aren't then what was that evolutionary need um, anyway that, there's a thought yeah. to, to stop you sleeping mm -hmm. at night uh the di Aliens. different 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 homo types i guess <laughs> homo sapiens that kind of thing homo erectus i don't know something like that maybe uh -huh. yeah interesting <laughs> question um, it's a rabbit yeah, hole that's... isn't it it is. It I'm is. not saying it's aliens. I'm not saying it's aliens. <laughs> it's aliens. 
ancient aliens. aliens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the article also goes into ethical concerns. So on all of these services that we can access that are hosted for us, the, the not safe for work filters are all on as standard. Although some of these systems are available as open source, so you can set up your own server and you can remove those filters. And then, if, you know, if you start incorporating real celebrities into these images, we're going back in the direction of that deep fake rabbit hole that we were all warned about and the problems that you can cause with it. So, um, uh, yeah, I think it's a good thing to have those filters turned on, but it sounds like it's very easy to circumvent them. Also, though, it, it learns from images on the Internet and it's learned from many artists that are alive today. So the system is capable of producing incredible images that look just like famous artists in style um, and quite a few artists have raised that this is a concern of them can you copyright a style you know an artist will create an image and put it out there and of course the copyright belongs to them but can you copyright a style if i started making art in the style of hr geiger but i didn't copy his art i just did it in that style could i be sued if i didn't use his name i don't know so can this ai you know, where, where's the line? Um, I think it's probably more of an ethical than a legal question there. Um, yeah, but I don't see this stopping anytime soon. It's just such a powerful tool. Chris, your thoughts on this? We haven't heard from you. Yeah, no, I like I like how you uh, started talking about removal of not safe for work filters and then handed over to me. That was very well done. <laughs> but, um, but no, you, you've raised some really good points, and especially even on the copyright. I mean, as I've said before, when I when I played with this, and it was only briefly, it actually freaked me out that the fact that it could do it. I've always held that AI is going to go so far, but a computer can't do something like paint a picture for example well guess what now it can and that is a massive step in my view um so remove uh, you know, ignoring the not safe for work stuff at the moment um copyright surely that has to come to a fore because if this um is learning from images online is there like an automated copyright implication there whereby it's essentially stealing images is it stealing people's faces to come up with these new images that kind of thing so yeah, that that's an interesting side to it. Um, but reusing, you know, about using this to upscale um, retro game graphics, which is sort of what we were talking about at the start. I like playing retro games with retro graphics, so I don't see any use there for myself personally as a as a recipient of games that may be created in that way. And interestingly, retro graphics or pixel art is in vogue. So you know, games like Slipstream and Crawl wouldn't be the same without pixel art um so you have this this new generation of players and developers appreciating that genre so yeah dave you wanted to ju um jump in there i've ju just had a thought mm. if you think back to 8-bit 16-bit 32-bit games where it was pixel art in it think back to the adverts and think back to the game boxes it wasn't pixel art on those. It was hmm. photorealistic images and that. So maybe that's what it could be used for there to produce. Yeah. I mean, even you think of even if you think of Monkey Island, it wasn't eight bit graphics in the front of Monkey Island. It, it was a it, it was a, a drawn uh, picture true. on it. So maybe that's what it could do. Yeah, it was sort of yeah, a cartoony. Of oh, sorry, go on, James. No, no, no. I was just thinking of the missile command box for the Atari twenty six hundred. Just all those different images with the guy with the helmet on. That could totally yeah. be an AI image. Yeah. There is talk of this technology creating video and other things in future. 
Dave's raised his concerns on that, and I agree with them, I have to say. But it has got me thinking, not only could this be wonderful uh, uh, movies, it could be really great at remastering retro games, which Chris touched on. And um, also AI could be really useful in helping modern AAA games get their costs down, because if you could just type in, give me a 50-mile square island with jungle on it, three cities and um, an Aztec pyramid in the middle of it, and just let the AI create that for you, you know, a few lines of code could eliminate the need for a massive team and help us to actually yeah. take advantage of the ever increasing, you know, exponentially increasing power of modern consoles that need exponentially increasing team sizes to actually get the most out of them. So I think this could be a real benefit used in the right ways. Um, who knows? Maybe you could even describe a, a feature film in a few lines and then sit down and watch it. You know, I can't believe they've I've cancelled seen those films my already. favorite series. You know, they've cancelled my favorite series. <laughs> make me series five of you know, <laughs> whatever. Make, make, me, make me series eight of Cobra Kai. <laughs> you know? So there we go. Hopefully, we won't need to send Chris back in time to assassinate its creator with a sniper when this all gets out of hand and the robots rise up. But uh, um, I'm impressed with it. And um, I don't. There's also, as Dave um, touched on, there's sort of a, an eeriness about it. It's like the science fiction future has arrived that we all imagined. And then suddenly it feels a bit too real, doesn't it? It feels, yeah, it feels a bit too much like we're losing control in yeah. some areas. I yeah. don't know. But. Um, there we go. Something to ponder. A happy ending to that story to think about. <laughs> uh, Tiny Combat Arena is a project I've been watching with keen eyes for a while now. For those uh, that have been living in a bunker, Tiny Combat Arena is a combat flight simulator made in the same vein as those in the 90s, but for modern PCs. In the words of Microprose, who are the developers, uh, the current version of Microprose anyway, Tiny Combat Arena is a labor of love combat flight simulator that aims to strike the perfect balance between a simulator and an approachable, customizable air combat experience, all executed in a stylized look representing a fictional Cold War era conflict. So basically, it's not an arcade shooter. It's a lot more highbrow than that. But it's not DCS or MS Flight Sim 2020 either. Uh, so you won't need to sit on the toilet for six months studying a manual for each aircraft like you may do for some of the other flight sims. Um, and it's it's that flat shape. We, I'm sure we all did that back in the day, didn't we? Um, not for six months, but I remember anyway. Uh, but it, it's that sh it also has that flat shade polygon graphic style that we grew up with in the 80s and 90s. Uh, the early access version, which is the version available at the moment, has one playable air, uh, aircraft, which is the Harrier. Neil, um, I was going to say, have you taken a look? But I think that's a silly question. Uh, so what do you think of it, Neil? Well, before we get onto this, Microprose, or whoever from Microprose is listening to our show, where is my B-17 Flying Fortress remake, please? You promised it years ago. Every time Microprose comes up on this show, I have to ask you, where the hell has it gone? Because <laughs> I'm so psyched for that game, and they've just gone completely silent on it. Um, for those who haven't heard me rant about it before, it's uh, a remake of B-17 Flying Fortress, which then had a sequel in the early 2000s. But Microprose, when they came back in their latest iteration, promised us a full VR online team play experience where you and your friends could all sit in the bomber in a different seat in each part and go on missions together. And now they've gone silent. It's like the, the, the game I've always wanted. So um, anyway, Microprose, sort it out. Sort it out. 
Um, so anyway, yes, uh, Tiny Arena Combat. I first played this about three months back. It felt very early access. Um, felt quite action-y. Uh, I quite liked just going into the free flight and just flying around. It's quite nice because you're in um, a jump jet. You can adjust the uh, the angle of the, the thrust so you can do the hover thing, take out a few buildings, you know, gently fly away and get your speed up again. That's a lot of fun and landing. Um, so I did have fun with it. I do like the graphical style of it. Reminds because it's um, it's texture free. You can scale it up pretty much to anything you want. So you can play this thing in 4K, and it it looks like uh, if you think back to when you used to watch the Krypton Factor and these multi million pound flight simulators back in the 80s, it looks like one of them. And it's got a super smooth frame rate as well. So that it's got that going for it, which I really like. Um, but yeah, it, I can only criticize it so much or praise it so much because it is very much early access and a lot can change between now and when it comes out. Um, but if you're interested in this kind of retro looking flight sim, I would urge you all to go and have a look at uh, another game called Thunder Helix by David Walters. To see this, go on Twitter and look up the user at Hidden Asbestos. Um, and you'll see the development of a really beautiful looking, well, I guess this, the style is very similar to um, to this, uh, albeit created by one man, by David, not a whole team. And he's made a really nice looking, I guess, LHX Attack Chopper or Gunship 2000 style game. And it's coming along really well and it makes me really excited. And he does regular updates on his Twitter about what he's been working on lately and what new models he's made and all the adjustments and game progress. So go and check that out as well. And it looks like it's going to have a lot more depth than this tiny arena combat. But they're different types of games. That's fine. Yeah, well, I'm glad to see the Harrier getting some love. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I used to be in the Fleet Air Arm. I was in the, I was in the Royal Navy for four and a half years as a aircraft engineer so i'm a massive i i love i love flight sims I, i've always loved them gunship 2000 is one of my favorite games of all time love it um but yeah seeing the harrier here like wow bringing the harrier back and putting it on in, into people's computer games like fantastic um kind of scares me a little bit that they're bringing in an, an, a sort of one aircraft it does sort of feel like they're going to be um to get the f-14 tomcat you need to you need to spend six hundred dollars and all that sort of stuff so that i'm worried that the dlc will be there um but yeah it's great that it's i love the polygon look i'm sure that like neil said it's, it's going to aid with the frame rate that that's wicked um i'm not i actually love sitting on the toilet and reading big manuals so not necessarily for me <laughs> in the, in that, light, that light sim thing i'm not really i love i just love that whole process of getting to learn about the aircraft knowing what makes things work how things tick and that's kind of why i play those types of games so for me i'll give it a i'll give it a look but i i'm not necessarily sold on it yeah dogfights for dogfights reasons you know just seems there needs to be a bit of depth some story and stuff as well just uh, going back uh, to manuals and the uh, Thunder Helix that I mentioned, um, I did drop a cheeky message to David uh, a couple of months back and said, you know, you don't need to make a decision, but if you ever feel like you want to do a big box release of this game and you ever want my help with it, I would love to put together the big box, Ooh. the manual, the maps, the keyboard overlay. I would love yeah. to help you do that. So, um, oh, yeah. you know, that would be fantastic. He is a man who, as I say, he's developed the game by himself, and I'm sure he'd love to do all that side of things himself as well. He's a very talented guy, yeah. but I would love the opportunity to do something like that. Oh, <laughs> Dave? That's so sick. I'm just thinking now that with James 
the experience of doing Kickstarters for box games mm. and your experience in ironing games with your uh, <laughs> uh, retroplating, but also um, you are looking into creating a telescoping box, I believe, uh, at some point, then you really could make this happen. It's actually mm. a reality mm. rather than just a, hey, why don't you do this? You could really, you could really do this. That would be well, fantastic. Right. Yeah, I would love the opportunity, but that's certainly not not my decision to make. And however David no. does decide to release this, uh, it's going to be fantastic, and I will be a day one buyer of it. Yeah, that'd be that'd be very cool. I'm I'm a big fan of the box and the contents and all of that. And the one the one of the few weeks I didn't grab a prop, but I've got a, a three or four micro simulators up there, and it's it's the box, it's the maps, it's the keyboard overlay, everything you've just mentioned. It just makes it so special. But this particular game, getting back to Tiny Combat Arena, it really, the, the look and feel, and I must confess, I haven't bothered paying for it yet. We'll get to that a little bit later on. Um, but uh, So all I've got to go on is what I can see on the videos that are available. But it does remind me of things like F-18, which uh, everybody talks about F-18 when we mentioned flight simulators specifically on the Amiga because it, it felt like a simulator. It felt complicated, but actually it was quite simple and therefore enjoyable. It wasn't a hard game to master. Um, so it definitely reminds me of that. A little bit of Falcon, only in look and feel. Um, I think Falcon maybe potentially had a lot more depth to it, as did F-16 Combat Pilot. But what this really reminds me of, and it's not a game that a lot of people talk about, but that's A-10 Cuba, which was a PC and Mac game in 1996 and a10 cuba itself so obviously it's based on the a10 warthog um but it it itself had that look and feel that was a throwback to things like f18 had quite an in-depth military campaign in in it but it was so simple to fly and the aircraft actually felt really nice to handle even though it's an a10 which essentially is a flying gun yeah yeah, um, I would say the look of this really reminds me of a game called Su Twenty Seven Flanker in the nineties, mm. which um, it Su Twenty Seven what sorry Flanker Dave F L. Right. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it it kind of bucked the trend, and that is bucked the trend uh, when it came out. In that it. Um, it, it didn't go heavy on the textures when every other flight sim was layering textures on everything. This just went, we're going to go high resolution and don't worry about the textures. And so you got this high resolution, really crisp look in the same way you have in Tiny Combat Arena. But that had a really in-depth flight model. You know, the cockpit was all in Russian and you had to read the manual inside out to learn how to play the thing. Mm. Um and then two point flanker two point five. That's flanker two point five, Dave. That that layered the textures on on top, and then it went off in that direction, which then evolved into DCS combat. That's where that all came from. That's oh, is the that same right? Lineage. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. I didn't know that. DCS is actually fantastic. Yeah, love it. Yeah, but the, the aircraft are too expensive, so I do hope this doesn't go down the DLC route, just like DCS. <laughs> Each aircraft is the same <laughs> price you you drop on an individual game. Ordinarily, you know, it's crazy. The absolute worst example of download, downloadable combat, uh, downloadable content in a flight sim was when Microsoft uh, brought out Microsoft Flight. So I don't know if you remember that when that came out. Uh, yeah. We had Flight mm -hmm. Sim. 10 and then they yeah. brought out flight which was by a completely different studio and instead of getting the whole world you got one island <laughs> a couple of planes and then you would i, I guess they were going to try and sell us the entirety of the world one <laughs> island at a time um, <laughs> and yeah that, that was the reaction of the whole community no 
no, just yeah. stop this. So it, it completely died until they went back to basics and came out with um, the latest flight sim, which was much more like the original. Yeah, well, sorry, I jumped that. in there. Well, no, that's all right. I was saying that. The early versions of Microsoft Flight Sim, they were you, you got the initial bundle and then you bought the expansion packs, only they were in big box version rather than DLC. But you, so, yeah. yeah. You, you still had the world, though. You had the yeah, true, whole world, true. but what... But what you bought was a satellite imagery that layered over the top of it. So you could yeah, still yeah. go places and land places. You could just buy more detail. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, Dave, Flight Sims? Not as much as you and Neil uh, and, and maybe James, but yeah, I'm, I'm quite into them. Uh, I played a few uh, in 16-bit times in my Atari ST, and I haven't played them in a very long time. Um, but I liked... What I think is a light sim, but I'm not sure it's a light sim. Uh, flight simulators, they need to have combat in them, but I don't want to have the whole, all the procedures in there. I want it to be the right balance. So things like F-29 and MiG-29 and um, Falcon and various other different ones I played. Um, there was one I, I played that I really got into, I have to admit I didn't pay for it. It was a Pompey Pirates crack throw on it. And either either the manual was on the disc or it was on their next release. And I printed off the big manual on my Star LC-10 on tractor paper. And I had the great big manual, which might even be better than the real one. Uh, I really go into that. Um, I, I, I've tried before to work out which one it is. It might be F-29 Retaliator, but I'm not sure. Whatever it was, you played the role of a fighter bomber and it was a, in a fictional combat in the Gulf. Uh, against Russia and uh, and so on. So possibly that one, I'm not sure. I need to find some time to look into, find out exactly which one it was. But yeah, I've got quite a few boxed flight sims on my shelves now. And the reason is they're cheap. It's cheap to get them. So when I see them cheap, I buy them. I'm going to take a stab at F-119 uh, Stealth Fighter. That might have been what you were playing. F-19, yeah, could be. F-119, 119 Stealth Fighter. F-119, no, F-19, sorry, F-19, not F-119. Or Stealth. Yeah. No, F-19 Stealth Fighter, I think, is is that one, possibly. Could have been something completely different. F-19, we're going to go head-to-head on different simulators. F-19 had Golf, but you also had Stealth 2, which was the F-117. The Amiga version of F-19 also included the F-117 because they released it slightly late just as the public got to know what the stealth fighter actually looked like. So they threw the model in at the last minute, which is rather cool. Right. Um, yeah. Um, F-29 Retaliator right. also has a golf um, campaign as well. But yeah, anyway, cool. Uh, right. Not that I've played I'm them just gonna, I'm just going to mute Chris <laughs> before we go too far down this rabbit hole there. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that between the two of you there, I, I, I do want to say that I'm glad that between the two of you there, you've gone absolutely nowhere in answering my question. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it could have been either. Right? It could have been F-29 Retaliator. It could have been F-19 Stealth Fighter. We've established that Dave once played a flight sim. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> off the could have been falcon anyway. like... <laughs> um as as for microsoft if they want to get to get it right properly then don't try and produce modern triple e games i've seen quite a few resurrections of old studios and they just come out with this bland uninspired auto-completed game on Unreal or Unity type engines, don't do that. Focus on good gameplay and make it accessible to people and make it fun. Uh, and that seems to be what they're doing here. 
Uh, maybe it needs a bit more depth to it to be good, but I, I do like the idea of this. Cool. It does look like a lot of fun. Um, but as I did allude to earlier, it's not free. Uh, so it is an early access. It's, it's available on Steam. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, free games and, are not good. No, free games are not good. Um, but early access, you still have to pay for, and that's 30 Australian dollars or uh, just under 30 Australian dollars, sorry, or just over 15 pounds. And it's only got one playable aircraft for your money um, and an instant action map and one combat arena map slash scenario. Um, and that, to be honest, is the only reason I've not opened my wallet yet. I'd like to see a bit more content, even if I have to pay a little bit more on top to get it. Um, to, but basically, I really want to see this finish. And and while I understand the labor of love concept, I think for something as promising as this and B-52, um, there comes a point where you just have to trust a team around you, upsize and get the damn thing finished. So come on, Microplose, uh, kick the tires and light the fires, please. Completed it, mate. Um, <laughs> Ace Gamer Sam started with Super Mario 64 and went through and completed all 296 Nintendo 64 games. And he even streamed it live in Twitch, so I can't even say he's made it up. And it took him just under six years to complete. Now, I'm not a Nintendo expert, but I'm led to believe that Nintendo games are of a, a reasonable quality. Uh, I'm sure there's some really great ones, but I'm told there's no real absolute donkeys. They didn't seem to make it out with the kind of shovelware, the, the rubbish that we ended up with on our 16-bit platforms. Neil's going to come in and tell me. Neil, tell me a bad game. Superman on the N64. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Carmageddon Terrible. on the N64. Oh, Carmageddon on yeah, the N64. Bad or just not as good as the PC? Actually, Unreal. Unreal N64. Tournament on the N64 was awful as well. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. But for, in terms of first-party to... games, Dave, you're talking about Nintendo first-party games. That there's a, a huge amount of high quality. It's the it's the other companies that make games for the N64. Yeah. Well, um, I. I a donkeys when i said donkeys um i'm thinking of things that we got on amiga and atari that were absolute trash i mean really absolute trash yeah i don't think quite good that anyway he's managed to get through all of them and i have dozens or maybe over a hundred games that i'd like to sit down and complete loads of rpgs and strategy games and a fair number of adventure games I've never finished Ultima 9, for example, or Full Throttle or Planescape Torment. I've got Infocom games that I've never even played before, never mind finished. Uh, There's at least a dozen SSI games I've not played and probably a dozen I've not completed. Uh, And sometimes I think about them and I really feel I should get them finished. They feel like unfinished business. Neil, do you feel that way about it? Have you got a mental list of games you want to get back to and do? Um, And now that I think about it, I do remember you did actually go back and play one fairly recently and you were underwhelmed with it, I think. Yeah, there was a Twitch stream a while back. I think it was Christmas, actually. It was that far back now where I tried to play through Elvira, the adventure game on the Amiga, Um, a game that I really loved as a kid, but I didn't have walkthroughs. I didn't have access to the internet to help me or even a, a Twitch audience telling me what to do next. And actually what we found as we got deeper and deeper into the game was that it was a complete grind. There was this section in the catacombs where you just had to collect all the regents over and over and over again. And um, I, I kind of ruined my fond memories for that game, which was a shame. 
Um, you mentioned Ultima 9. I bought that on day one when that came out. I don't know if it's even possible today, even with all the patches, to complete that, Dave. You might you might need to download a yeah. saved game that's been hacked to get past bugs or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are games that I'd like to go back and complete. Um, we're building this arcade museum at the moment, and that's going to open up a whole other world of 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 things and when you go back and play arcades now it's kind of weird to have them in free play mode you have to set a limit for yourself to try and make it a bit more authentic so for example we got double dragon recently uh, i'm not necessarily saying i would like to complete that on one credit but let's say something realistic like three credits like the maximum i might have put in the machine back in the day i'd love to be able to do that um and no doubt there'll be lots of other arcades. Uh, I, I'm I'm never going to go and challenge myself to beat Ghouls and Ghosts or Ghosts and Goblins. That's what we've got, the first one, because I know how rock hard that is. But um, yeah, it, it's nice to set challenges in the modern day when you've got access to every game that's going and unlimited credits on all of these games. Um, it's nice. I think... Um, I think we all probably read Retro Gamer magazine if if we're not subscribers, but from time to time. And uh, the first thing I always do when I get Retro Gamer is go to the back page where they've always got the end game sequence of a different game. You can see the, you know, they picked a game of the month and they show the um, the ending sequence. And it's like, great, I know what happens now. I don't necessarily need to play that. <laughs> um, yeah, there's lots. And I think anyone of a certain age will will all tell ourselves that one day we'll be able to complete Jet Set Willy, whether that's going to happen no or chance. not. But, no yeah. chance. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe one day, I'll, maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll get to, I'll go to every single room in a, on a single playthrough. When I load Jet Set Willy, uh, the version I've got in the cave, it comes up with some cracks at the start and it says, do you want unlimited lives? Um, and then the next one is, do you want enemies? And you can just turn all the enemies off and just go for a nice walk around the mansion and see everything. So that's quite nice. <laughs> it was Jet Set Willy 2 that I had so that the, the CPC, I think I mentioned this before, the CPC didn't get Jet Set Willy. It got, when the conversion was done, they added extra rooms to it, maybe because the CPC had more memory available, I'm not sure, or whatever it was, they added extra rooms, and what we got was Jet Set Willy, the final frontier. So they added a few extra rooms, but the main one they added was Jet Set Willy in space. So you could you could fly up into space and you got into a, um, a spacesuit, and they actually did port that back to the original Spectrum, and that's what the Spectrum version of Jet Set Willy Two is. It's the CPC version of Jet Set Willy. Oh, but I, yeah. I, for me, Jet Set Willy, I, I just, I just like to to go to set myself a, a goal of getting somewhere, like getting yeah. up into space and seeing the rooms there, and that was that was hard enough for me. Um, for people who don't know Jet Set Willy. Perhaps is there if anyone? Not, <laughs> well, I'm thinking anyways from America because it, oh, it, true, you, you true. can get across there. So if you're watching from America, Jet Set Willy is, is a, a fixed jump platformer. So it, it's one where you start the jump and that's it. You'll land where you land. You can't change it halfway. And th those are definitely out of fashion. People hate those, but it made it really difficult. Now, even though I've got a big list, I tend to end up going back to my classics and completing those again and again and again and again, rather than playing new games. So Dungeon Master, Jagger, Jagger Alliance, XCOM, and I'm wondering if I'm doing myself a disservice by keeping going back to my comfort zone games rather than playing something a bit more difficult, something I don't know so much. 
And as for modern games, they're so desperately hard to complete. Not only do you have the main game, but they've also got alternative paths. And then DLCs with big expansions to make you play the whole thing again. And then achievements and secrets, etc. And I'm in gaming debt and it keeps getting worse. <laughs> uh, James, how are you for completing games? Are you a completionist? Uh, well, I tend to play games that go on for centuries, quite literally. Games like Civilization and Dwarf Fortress mm. and maybe SimCity 2000. Yeah, love it, love it. I just love love playing those kind of RTS games that are super in-depth and go on forever and ever and ever. Because I travel loads, so it, it makes an 18-hour flight to Sydney really goes like that if you're playing Civilization, Like, it's it's so good. Just get the laptop up and go for it. Um, I've completed all the Deus Ex games. Um, I love those because obviously the cyberpunk connection, even though I can't quite handle Alan Jensen's voice, but I do, I do like, I do like those types of games. And I recently completed Skies of Arcadia. That was, that was good. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm kind of, I'm kind of more into the, let's see if this can go on forever, get the best spaceship in Frontier Elite 2, that kind of thing. You know, it's a, it's very much a, um, yeah, exactly. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> That's yes. the one with a, with a mining laser on the front, just taking out ships and like just lasers everywhere. Plane. You got four turrets on everywhere. that thing. Yeah, <laughs> so so cool. Um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of me in a nutshell, really. Yeah. Yeah, well, actually, before I jump into the ones I'd like to complete, um, I just fact-checked myself. when, As soon as I said Unreal Tournament was a bad game on the N64, I thought, no, wait a minute, I think that was the PS2. And sure enough, it was. It never actually came out on the N64. I'm wrong yet again, but it's okay. I think I beat the internet comments for once. Um, but anyway. Uh, but yeah, completing games. I wish I had the time I had as a teenager. You know, completing games was easy. Yeah. You just ignored the mountain of, of homework and assignments and got on with the important things in life, like completing games. Games, um, or getting to the next base on Captive would have been one of my favourite yes. things to do. Yes, rather than doing my homework. And that, to be honest, is top of my list of games I need to revisit. Captive. I need to finish the first 10 bases, Dave. I never actually... Brilliant. I never it's got that first liberation experience. Yeah, it's, it's an awesome game. It's an awesome game. Um, other ones... Um, you know, a myriad Sphinx adventure on the Acon Electron is one I think I've mentioned a couple of times before. It's just a text adventure, but it's one of the first games I ever played and I never got very far. I just got lost in the forest at the beginning and then got killed by a dwarf. I need to finish that game at some point um, uh, to stop the nightmares. X-Wing, I never actually got Ooh. the Battle of Yavin unlocked as a historic Ooh. mission. I never got that far. I need to destroy the Death Star oh, in X-Wing. Yeah. I know. That's the I whole know. point of the game. Exactly. <laughs> well, what most people did was they just bought the expansion packs, which automatically unlocked that battle anyway. <laughs> so you could, you could do it that way. Um mercenary but the second city so i completed you know the green version as mercenary as i would call it and i know neil's keen on mercenary did you do the second city neil uh, i haven't completed the second city um i used to like just getting lost in mercenary and exploring it because yeah. i've since learned if you go on the internet and look up a walkthrough it's one of those ones that you can complete in like five minutes if you follow the exact yeah. steps to complete the game right. so me you know, be, be <laughs> careful be careful you don't ruin it for yourself by looking yeah. up a walkthrough in, in that style, yeah. We're well, doing the first city, or the green planet, as I would call it. I mean, I remember mapping on grid paper for months, what felt like months, to finish that game. It was such a good experience. But I know once I've done Second City, that will lead me on to going into Damocles, which I've never played at all. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Shadow the Beast. Everybody says it's a tech demo. It's a game. There is an end. I'm convinced it's doable without a cheat. 
But again, if I do number one, then I've got to do number two and number three. Otherwise, I'm a complete failure in life. And um, yeah, that's that's about it. There, there are many others, but those are the ones that spring to mind, Dave. So on the subject of mercenary, I bought that last week. I bought the Amiga version of uh, Mercenary and Second City uh, last week, so it's now on the shelf. I don't know if you can see it. Anyway, um, Damocles is the one I played, though, on my ST. Damocles is fantastic, but I haven't played the the, the original Mercenary, so uh, I, I will play that. But I did go back to Damocles recently, and it feels really lonely. It's, mm. it's, it's like you're exploring a world that all the NPCs have been removed from. It's, so um, it's a bit strange. Um, Shadow of the Beast, I watched a Twitch streamer who was trying to do that, just repeatedly playing it, and he got really good at it. And he thinks he can complete it if he if he keeps trying. I didn't watch it for long enough to find out. But Shadow of the Beast it would, would be good if someone went back and hacked it and changed the, the hitboxes on it. If you change the hitboxes in Shadow of the Beast, I reckon it would change into a good game. Is, is, it's just so difficult. Is that what they did on the Mega Drive version? People say the Mega Drive version kind of cleaned it up, but I've never played it. It's oh, I don't the, know. Uh, we, need to, we need to ask. If you want to play a, diff- a very different version that's quite enjoyable, the PC Engine CD-ROM version. Oh. Uh, it's a completely different game and very nice. You can get quite far in it. Well, I can. Further than the uh, Amiga version, yeah. Mm. Um, there you go. Dave, was yeah, um, was playing uh, Mercenary um, lonelier than a dinosaur in space? <laughs> well, that's the theme for this, isn't it? The theme for this show is depressing thoughts, things to make you unhappy. <laughs> so I'm very sorry about that. That's not an intent. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, no, Damocles is, is strange that way. I never felt that way when I played it in my ST originally, but now going back to it, it's it's like an open world game with all the NPCs removed. Uh, it's strange. Um, same kind of graphics as uh, what we're talking about um, um, before Phil Polygons. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so if you wanted a reason to feel bad at your backlog, this guy has given you one. Completed all the games, all the N64 games, one by one, just gone through them, rather than done what we do, go back to the same ones again. I wonder if you'll ever pick up an N64 again. <laughs> maybe that second of it. Maybe that. Maybe it's ruined at the N sixty four from forever. Is he like the only person on Earth with three hands? Maybe so he can actually use the controller. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Time now for our community question of the week. And last week we were talking about the war on retro. Uh, we were talking about how a Japanese minister wants to end any reliance on old tech with the humble floppy disk firmly in his sights. So uh, the question was. What retro tech would you declare war on? Anything at all that you want to see disappear and why? And we've had some fantastic answers. Um, We've had 499 people have come to look at the question of the week this week. That's a good turnout. Uh, Lots of answers. So I will go with the top rated one. I'll read out the first one. It's from Generation Pixel. And it says... I'm an angry old man, and that, that just des- might describe the majority of our listeners, mightn't it? Angry, angry old man. He's actually quite young compared to some of us. I know who Generation Pixel is. He's younger than some of us. Yeah, well, it appears to be anyway. Okay. <laughs> I'm an angry old man, and you uh, you want just one thing to declare war on? Well, you're getting two, and that's my final compromise. Okay. Uh, number one. People who say there was a video game crash in 83. No, there blooming wasn't. There was a minor blip in North America. Europe and Japan were seeing an explosion in both hardware and software. There you go. I agree. I agree. So you can have your second point. Yeah. Point two, people who call vintage hardware and software 
Retro. The NES Classic Mini, PlayStation Classic, and A500 are retro. Original machines, cassette tapes, floppy disks, and CD-ROMs are vintage. Well, this is a topic that we've discussed discussed in the show before. We we did come to the same conclusion with an understanding yeah. that look, we understand what you mean when you <laughs> when you use these words. It's fine. Um, and he finishes with right rant done. I'm away for a wee cup of tea and a sit down to calm myself. <laughs> I, I'm really with him in point one. Really am. I I cringe when I hear the video game crash in '83. It didn't oh. exist. Oh, nah. Um, but point two, I don't care. <laughs> Just don't care. That's because you're vintage. <laughs> so long as you are understood, that's fine. Um, James, would you like to read out uh, answer number two, which is from Pajaco sixty five oh two? With pleasure. I declare war on playground wars on which system was better. Under the ageing and yellowed plastic hoods, you can say that one chip is better than another and that the clock speed or bus width matters. But in this day and age, with modern homebrew coders pumping out some games for old systems that literally would have had us soiling ourselves in disbelief back then, I have come to realise it genuinely isn't about what it is about how it's used mm, however as the one. new ruler of the universe i give special permission to dave and chris to carry on ribbing each other about the st versus amiga <laughs> because it is downright funny and never fails to bring a smile to my face <laughs> and the amiga's the best <laughs> i like that one a lot That's i'm great. glad i'm glad that people see my weekly destruction of the amiga as oh. <laughs> oh and there's two of us neil <laughs> it really isn't. Back me it up. really isn't an argument. Uh, somebody has to adjudicate this, and I do agree with that line. It's it's not what it is; it's how you use it. Um, oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I think I think a lot of ST owners get told that. Let's move on to uh, question three. Uh, oh, sorry, answer three. Dave, would you like to read answer three? I think it's from your good friend Richard Shears. I see the name Richard Shears and I already know I will agree with him. <laughs> I would like to declare war on gatekeepers telling you how you should enjoy your retro pleasure. You tell it like it is, Rich. Yes. Hang on. Yes. Sorry, Don't let that, someone. Is that, is that retro pleasure or vintage pleasure? <laughs> I've entered the wrong webcam Touché. room. Sorry. Touche. <laughs> Sorry, Don't let someone else <laughs> Don't let someone else dictate how you should. If you enjoy software emulation, hardware emulation or original hardware, do so. If you want to use your GoTech, go for it. However, you relax and enjoy the simpler times is great. Don't let others spoil it. Well said, Rich Rich, Rich is a Rich is a, a yeah, genius. He's a, he's a he's he's always brilliant he's always um he's always nice um so yeah i, I agree with him i don't like the gatekeeping um I, sometimes i'll catch myself doing it and i'll correct myself like last week when i told myself to wind my neck in because i realized hang on dave you're projecting what you what you want onto other people it's not right to do that rich sounds like the kind of yeah, guy that would send a man a dinosaur for his birthday it is yeah yeah <laughs> or play a game that no one else has <laughs> he, he, I mean, he went up into space first to get that dinosaur. That's how dedicated he is. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I think that that could be the mission statement for our whole show, really, isn't it? However, you want to enjoy retro, that's entirely up to you. So yeah. long as you're enjoying it, and if you're enjoying it, then you're doing it right. And if you're not enjoying it, then you're doing something wrong. Adjust and enjoy it. Um, and actually, we, we've all made adjustments, I think, throughout our hobby, whether it be going on a massive. 
um, mute click on social media to say, I don't want to see all that negativity. I just want all the positive things, um, whether it be getting a GoTech, whether it be uh, whatever, whether it be using an online service like um, AntStream, whatever works for you works for you. It's it's all good. Um, so there you go. Great answers, everyone. And there's a whole lot more in there. Chris, you wanted to put your hand up? Just very quickly. I am aware that I did not thank ProTech438 for sharing the Tiny Combat Arena story. So yeah, thank you. There we go. And I've got something so, else that we should point as well as a, a correction. Okay, we're um, into the any other business section of the Do show. not go ahead, talk please. about the theremin. <laughs> oh. I, I do not have a correction. <laughs> in my defense, in my defense, it was easy to confuse. It was easy to assume Star Trek, uh, you don't upset Trekkies, and it was easy to assume the Star Trek theme tune was done with the theremin because they both sound like strangled cats. So I am really sorry. Oh, gosh. Okay, we'll wait, <laughs> we'll wait for those comments in this week's show. And uh, issue Chris an apology was the next person week. that talked about strangling cats and Star Trek. Yeah, so that was Chris. There was no theremin in Star Wars. Towards Chris. <laughs> okay. Time for a new question of the week, then, for this week. Um, as always, you can contribute stories for the show at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. Um, we will pick and choose stories that we think will uh, be good for a discussion and conversation in the show. Not necessarily, not necessarily the one that's upvoted the most, just ones that stand out for us. Um, so if you want to go and submit your story, head over to the subreddit and you'll also see the latest show and the question of the week pinned in the subreddit. And the next question of the week is as follows. It's kind of a quiz. We're setting you a challenge and we'll try and answer. Um, others can try and answer as well next week. Um, so the question is, can you describe a famous game? Well, it doesn't even have to be a famous game. Can you describe a game that you like in the way that you might tell an AI system to create it? So, for example, if I were to type angry race driver in city smashes up opponents with no regard for pedestrians and it's hyper gory, then the answer would be Carmageddon. So make it as cryptic as you like. And I think one of us next week can be the quiz master. They can go and get the answers. So the question, so we don't see how other people have responded. Oh, I like get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what yeah. we'll try and guess for ourselves. So oh, fantastic. describe your game as you would to an AI and we'll see if we can do it. And um, we could even paste the top three answers into an AI image generator and see what it comes up with, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> nice. We'll give that a go. <laughs> James, um, thank you again for joining us, James. It's been great to have your company. Just remind us again where we need to go to find out more about your retro um, cyberpunk city building board game that you're working yeah, on. Yeah, just, just head to Kickstarter. It's live right now. Type in Civitas, C-I-V-I-T-A-S, 2230, and it'll come straight up, and it's right there, and you can go for it. I've been playing the video in the background there. Always promoting. Always promoting. <laughs> it's got the t-shirt on as well. Always promoting. And the mug. He's got it <laughs> and on. The mug. Um, yeah. Great. Yeah, so it'd be, it'd go and, great go and search for that. Behind. Thank you. Perfect. Go and search for that or um, just click on the link in the show notes that Duncan will kindly put there. Um, and if it takes your fancy, back it. And um, I, I know you play tested it in the cave, but maybe if we can get you over that line and you fund it, maybe we can have a launch event or something like that. Oh, and, um, the dream. A big gaming session at the cave. That would be great. Oh, that'd, that'd be, be super fun. Yeah, super yeah. fun. It's on track. I mean, it looks on track. It's got three weeks left and it's halfway there. So by the time this comes out, it'll have almost yeah. almost two weeks left. Nice. So um, That's, that's yeah, all the old backers that have played the previous games. So we're now in the realms of new people. 
that have never heard of it before. You're, you're, you're in that kind of period in the Kickstarter where it doesn't tend to move any much. It moves at the start and moves at the end, and then there's this anxious part in the middle where, please. It's so funny. This is the, this is the only part of the Kickstarter where my partner's actually interested. She's like, oh, is this good? She's like, I'm like, you've... I've spent like the last three years making this game. You haven't spent, you've like, literally, are you, are you working again tonight? I'm like, yes. And then she's like, you better get on with this, James. Like you need, can you do something to make something happen? I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Thank you again, James, Chris and Dave. Thank you for joining well, us. Pleasure. Happy birthday again thank to you. Dave. Direct thank your you. theremin comments to Chris. Direct your happy birthdays to Dave. Check <laughs> out James's Kickstarter. <laughs> And we'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was really fun. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agima, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. Podcast version of the show is available through your favorite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash This Week in Retro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.